And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. And, uh, of course, as uh, so go the markets, so goes how <laughs> the rest of this year may look. It's been a tough year to the markets really ever since the beginning of this year. We rang in all-time highs back in January. And since then, it's been a really tough road for investors. And here's the interesting thing about this is that there's, I'm writing an article um, about this now that I'll have out here on the website very soon. But talking about there's a difference between the way that we look at financial markets and the way that the Federal Reserve looks at financial markets. And this is going to have a lot to do with how the rest of this year plays out and something that you know we're going to talk about more over the course of the next few months as the fed begins you know uh, more aggressive rate hikes but importantly you know we need to keep in perspective also about where we've come from and how we've gotten to where we are and and, and a lot of this has to do with a massive amount of monetary liquidity that was poured into the markets back in 2020, 2021, that created the inflation that we're looking at today because you had the shutdown of the economy, had all this liquidity, everybody went out and bought stuff that created the inflation. And the mistake that a lot of people made and economists made was assuming that the organic growth, or I should say whether the economic growth that was in the economy at that time was organic. And that was just occurring because, oh, the market's reopening and the economy's getting back to work, so all this economic growth is just part of this natural function, this natural process, but it wasn't. It was all fueled by all this liquidity that was dumped into the market. So here we are today. Now, markets have had a very tough start since the beginning of the year. In fact, it's been the roughest start to a financial market since like the 1920s during the depression. So it's been a very long time since we've had such a very tough road to start an investment year um, in in a long time. And 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 really in most years that investors have never seen a year like this. And so it's been very tough, been very challenging to try to manage portfolios here. And this is, again, as we've talked about before, this is where investors make a lot of their mistakes. They, they tend to, to panic sell lows. They tend to start doing things that are, you know, don't really bode well for their portfolios overall. Um, so this is, the, this is the time that it's important that we go back and look at investment strategy and, and, and go back to our discipline. And this is the whole uh, you know, value that you know great investors and, and you know we talk a lot about the great investors throughout history we talk about paul tudor jones we talk about warren buffett we talk about you know these guys that have made you know uh, a name for themselves howard marks and others that have made a name for themselves by being really great investors in the, in the financial markets and they bring a lot of experience and value to the table but we tend to ignore them for what they actually did we you know we revere them for being so great at it, but then we don't follow their rules right we don't follow their their processes and this and as investors this is where we make a lot of our mistakes and i was talking to somebody the other day about investment strategy and investment discipline 
And, you know, and, and they asked me the question, well, what is an investment strategy? I go, well, how are you investing if you don't have a strategy? And this is the biggest problem that investors have right now. If you don't have an investment strategy that you follow, right, whether it's a fundamental strategy or a technical strategy, whatever it is, and it's got to be something that's well thought out and well cemented so that you're not deviating from it on a consistent basis. But, you know, if you don't have that foundation to work from, then you have nothing to go back to when you get in times of trouble. Look, when markets are rising like they were in 2020, 2021, that's easy, right? You just throw money into the markets. I was getting Facebook posts from people going, this is so easy. Why am I working? I just throw money into the markets and it makes me more money than I get at my job. <laughs> that's what we always see in kind of bubblish markets, right? We saw it back in 1999, we saw it in, in 2007. Same exact type of commentary being made by individuals saying, you know, investing so easy, a monkey can do it. Well, then the other side of that bubble comes, right? And this is where things get, get a lot more difficult. Well, you know, if you're just throwing money into the markets when markets are rising, that's great, but you don't have an investment strategy to fall back on when the markets begin to, to become more challenging, like they have been in 2022. So this is why it's important to step back before you make those decisions about, oh, I'm just, I just need to sell stuff and get out of the markets or whatever it is, or I'm going to go chase whatever's going up. If you don't have an investment strategy and a discipline that you can rely on and, and build your strategy off of and build your portfolio off of, you're going to continue to run into problems of buying stuff too high, selling stuff too low. And look, you know, right now, a lot of people are running into the commodities markets. Right? We want to, you know, I want to be long commodities because we, uh, there's inflation and there's all this other stuff that's going on. That's fine for right now, but that's going to change. We've already probably seen the peak of inflation. And as we get further into this year, we're going to see even weaker rates of inflation. And that could potentially, and if we do get into a recession, look, and let's just, you know, for right now, I'm not saying there's a recession coming, but there's certainly some good economic indicators out there that suggest there's a, a real slowing going on in the economy. So if we do get into recession later this year, that's going to bring all these commodity prices back down. Well, here you are trapped again. Now you chased what was going up last year and this year, and now you're on the wrong side of the trade again. And this is what happens to most investors over time because they tend to chase what's hot. And by the time they get into it, by the time they realize that that's the hot sector to be in, it's already at the end of that cycle, whatever that cycle is. And commodities run a very, very short and volatile investment cycle. They run up very sharply and they collapse just as quickly. And that's just the nature of commodities in general. And this is why it's so hard for farmers and agriculture and, uh, and people like that to make money because prices move all over the place. This is why they go out and they hedge their product and, and hedge their production because again, prices are so volatile in the commodities markets, it's not easy, you know, to just make money. And, and, and this, is, this is one thing to kind of focus back on. Just be careful that you're not just chasing trends. And if you don't have an investment strategy of whatever it is, right? I, you know, I have, a, I have a fundamental strategy based on price to sales, price to earnings, cash flow, free cash flow, whatever it is. Or I have a technical discipline that I follow for, you know, buying stocks when they're oversold, selling them when they're overbought. If you don't have that investment discipline you know, or a strategy, A, get one. And if you don't know how to get one, maybe consider hiring an advisor that does because 
that's going to keep you out of trouble longer term. It's going to help. It's going to help navigate markets. Now, does that mean that you're never going to lose? If you, just because you have an investment strategy, does that mean you're never going to lose money in the markets? Absolutely not. But the goal is is to not be down as much as the market when the markets are down, and that means making money when markets are up. And you're not going to beat the markets every year, right? When markets are up, you're not going to make as much money as the, as the market does. When the markets are down, you should be doing better than the markets when the markets are down. Over time, you're going to create that average rate of growth that you need to reach your financial goals. And ultimately, isn't that why we invest to begin with? Do we really invest just to speculate and try to beat some random benchmark index? Or are we investing to try to grow our money at a rate to meet our financial goals for retirement. That's really the question you need to ask and, and think about how we get there from here. Now, we've got a lot to talk about this morning, so stick around. More of The Real Investment Show is coming up right after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Some people don't know about bonds. I am told this is a bond. I've never seen a bond before. I never owned a bond in my portfolio. It is terrifying. Get to know bonds in our next free Lunch and Learn. Thursday, June 2nd with Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and special guest Lance Roberts. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. The thing about bonds with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. Of course, it is uh, Thursday as we get ready to wrap up the week. And that means that Michael Leibowitz is joining me this morning as well to talk a little bit about all things Fed and what's going on. And yesterday, a uh, couple of very interesting announcements kind of really kind of coming out from a couple of different areas. First of all, we had the release of the Fed minutes. We also heard from you know, a couple of the Fed members. But, you know, and now even looking at Fed futures, um, you know, which we kind of look at to see which kind of predicts, you know, where the Fed's going to go. Those those futures have started to roll over here, suggesting that after two more 50 basis point rate hikes, the Fed may actually pause here and be done. And that's not really surprising um, at all, because we've already been talking about how the fact that the market's already been doing all the tightening for the Fed anyway. Inflation's likely peaked. We're likely to start to see slower rates of inflation. Economic growth is really struggling here. Um, after durable goods orders yesterday, the Atlanta Fed GDP came out, revised their GDP growth for the second quarter now down to below 2% annualized. So you take a 1.8-ish uh, second quarter, if that's where it is, it may still get weaker here over the next month. But you take 1.8, add that to the 1.4 negative in the first quarter, we're not growing this year. <laughs> so, you know, that does that's not really boding well uh, for strong economic recovery or, more importantly, corporate earnings heading into this year. So to discuss this, uh, like I said, Michael Leibowitz and I will, will kind of flesh this out a little bit about what this potentially means for the markets as we get further into the year. Um, you know, Mike, one of the big concerns I think that the, you know, or one of the issues the markets have been trying to price in is this more aggressive Fed. 
And we've been kind of wondering exactly how aggressive the Fed's going to be given the stack up of a lot of poor economic data, volatile markets, et cetera. It looks like maybe we might be getting the first hint that maybe they are getting a little bit concerned about where we are economically and financially. So uh, I think so yesterday the Fed minutes came out and we've talked about this before, but the Fed minutes come out about three weeks after the Fed meeting and the Fed Fed minutes are are the minutes of the meeting, but they're updated. So you get, you know, a slightly more updated view of what the Fed is thinking and they will change some things in there to reflect anything that's happened over the last few weeks. So essentially what the Fed minutes are is the Fed's latest thinking. And when you read it, it's exactly what we thought. There were no surprises. There was a one line in particular, which is in the daily commentary today. And it's basically said that all the participants, all the Fed presidents and voting members thought that labor market was extremely tight. Inflation was very high and the economy was very strong. Those are those are their marching orders. And they're telling you with the words extremely and very that there's nothing has changed that there that it hasn't slowed down despite seeing some slight slight kinks in the labor market nothing significant we have seen prices slightly come down a little bit on a month over month basis they're still very high but they they were running a little bit lower on a monthly basis than they were the prior month and, and we've seen some not financial instability but degrading financial stability in both stock market. We're seeing some credit spreads rise. And the fact that they really didn't acknowledge that too much, they did tell you that financial conditions did tighten, but they show very little concern for all of that, which tells me what they're trying to convey to the market. And they may be th thinking something very different inside that boardroom, but what they want to convey to the markets is that they will continue to tighten as much as they need to to get inflation down and that's the message they want heard and i think they're kind of giving the uh, middle finger to the stock market and potentially to the bond market well and, and, saying, and i hear you i hear what you're saying but that's not exactly what is is coming out from the markets like i said the market implied uh, fed funds rate is already starting to come down right? suggesting only a one percent right. increase from where we are so yeah, the minutes may be saying one thing, but even Fed's Bostic well, came out and said that you know they're probably going to be pausing after two rates. Well, he said he would he would consider pausing, and Bostic is well. A let me let me quote member. exactly what he said. He said even fire trucks with sirens are blurring slow down at intersections. So, you know, <laughs> I think that's pretty. Right. I think that's but, more than just a little bit of a of a note, right? <laughs> right, right. But he is a non-voting member, and he is the only person that has taken that has said anything to that effect. So for now, it's one member. If we start seeing more members saying things to that effect, <laughs> so be it. But but I think more importantly, the market and the Fed are starting to dis disagree a little bit, right? Like mm -hmm. you said, and in today's commentary, we have a chart of Fed funds futures. They are, they've basically taken about a quarter, 25 basis points of a rate hike off the table. So has the two-year treasury note. We've seen a rally in long-term bonds as well. They're all saying they think now the Fed may do a little bit less on the back end than everyone thought, than the markets thought they would do a month ago. So, so we've seen this rally in bonds. Stocks are finally starting to at least 
feel like they're on, I'm not going to say solid ground, but on any kind of ground. <laughs> some uh, ground. They're, some they're, cl ground. they're clinging onto the tree branch in quicksand, right? Right, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> uh, they're, they're, they're hanging on. I think what's going on is the bond market is starting to get more and more concerned. There's a recession coming. A recession is good for the bond market. It will take a big chunk out of inflation. It will slow growth. And that will help bond yields come down significantly, as we have seen with every recession going back 40 years, 30 years. Um, the stock market, however, has to deal with another thing. The stock market, whether it's directly or indirectly, lives off the Federal Reserve these days. It, there are many other factors, but the Federal Reserve is the quarterback. It's the key player. And the stock market is concerned that there's a recession, as it should be, because it's going to hurt earnings. But at the same time, it's concerned that their quarterback is not going to do anything about it, that they're going to sit there and try to fight inflation because that's what they're telling us. So so stocks are in consternation. Bonds are starting to rally. It, it's you know, it, the rally has been somewhat uh, in the grand scheme of things small from where we've come, if you look at yields, how far yields have traveled and then how far they've backed up. But I think that's what those two markets are mm -hmm. trying to tell us. And we just have to wait on more data. We have to wait to see how the Federal Reserve changes tone. Do they maintain this rhetoric? If the stock market continues to fall, if we start getting more financial instability, what will it take for the Fed to change their tone? Yeah, I thought, I thought, uh, Kansas City Fed uh, President Esther George made an interesting comment. You know, she now, you know, as opposed to Bostic, who's relatively dovish, George is more uh, hawkish. And uh, she was talking about that, you know, the financial markets are far more unsettled currently than the last time the Fed shrank its balance sheet. And, uh, you know, she, uh, she's expecting the Fed to push rates to 2% by August. That's, again, what we're talking about here. Another, you know, 250 basis points rates hikes gets us right up towards that 2%. Um, after that, she says, evidence that inflation is clearly decelerating will inform judgments about further tightening. And to your point, Mike, this is, you know, kind of their keyed off of that inflationary push as well. Right. But you know the interesting part about this is that you know they're talking about hiking rates rather aggressively but at the, and because they're they're looking back at trailing data going okay well we've got a hot inflation and strong employment but we're already starting to see potentially some problems in the employment market we're looking at you know real time data coming out of some of the fed manufacturing indexes you know, talking about slowing rate of, of hiring, um, you know, terrible outlooks for the economy over the next six months. The CEO confidence indicator is now at recessionary levels as well. So the forward looking indicators are suggesting the economy slowing a lot faster than what the Fed realizes by looking at the trailing data that they're basing their economic data on. And I think some of this is political. The Fed has to fight inflation now with all their guns. And that's what they want you to know. But like we said, we're, they're also letting the markets do some of their work. I think they're okay with the stock market falling. I think they're actually happy with bond yields rising. That does some of their work for them. And if the if those markets do their work, they don't have to raise rates, Fed funds to two and a half, two and three quarters. Five and a half percent mortgages will do that. The S&P down 20 percent will do some of that heavy lifting. So they're going to talk the talk. The question is, when do they start backing down from that talk? And I think it largely depends on inflation. 
we've seen some real signs that we could be in a recession already. Mm-hmm. If not, like Lance, you said earlier, we're basically, you know, even if you look at expectations, which I think are rosy, but look at them anyway, we're going to average 0% growth, give or take a little right. for the first half of the year. That It's pretty much a recession. <laughs> You know, that's that's the <laughs> definition of a recession. It's not growing. Um, yeah. Regardless of what anyone says, regardless of what anyone declares, we're pretty much running at recessionary levels. And you can see this, you know, a lot of economic data, a lot of surveys, a lot of regional manage, uh, manufacturing surveys. A lot of these comments from corporations are pretty damning towards the economy and what's going on in the real world. But what the Fed is looking at is data that's one, two, three months old. Yeah. And it takes a while for that data to catch up to reality. I, I thought it was interesting. There's an article out on MarketWatch this morning titled, Don't Believe the Hype, the Economy Isn't Headed Towards a Recession and the Fed Isn't Behind the Curve on Interest Rate Hikes. And, you know, they they, they really go through some, you know, talk about data bending. <laughs> You know, just they really have to go to a fairly large stretch to try to manipulate the data, you know, to, to get it to support the story. But, you know, I think the evidence is more than clear when you're running 8.2 percent inflation um, as of the latest print and the Fed sitting at, you know, it was only at a quarter basis point hike at that point. The Fed's clearly behind the curve. They should have been hiking rates, you know, last year to try to quell off some of that inflationary push before it happened. But, you know, when we come back from the break, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, picking up on this and and looking at the last half of this year and what does that potentially look like for markets? Because there's a case to be made that regardless of what the Fed does, a recession's coming. The other case is, is, well, if the Fed high, if the Fed does stop their monetary hiking, what does that mean for equities? Does that give a boost to them? So we'll talk about kind of both sides of that story. We come back from the break. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com some people don't know about bonds i am told this is a bond i've never seen a bond before i never owned a bond in my portfolio it is terrifying get to know bonds in our next free lunch and learn thursday june 2nd with richard rosso danny ratliff and special guest lance roberts register now at realinvestmentadvice.com the thing about bonds with ratliff rosso and roberts realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to the real investment show Welcome back to the show this morning. Headline this morning on CNBC. Just a quick side note. We'll get back to our, our market talk. But fraud hits the metaverse. Is anybody surprised? I mean, <laughs> you know, when people are buying and selling, you know, this, you know, digital art, you know, pictures of monkeys and stuff, you know, 
did just did, are you surprised that <laughs> there might be some fraud out there? And again, you know, here's here's the problem with this. And and you know, look, I you know, when blockchain was first developed and Bitcoin and all this, and everybody was like, you know, this is going to change the landscape. Right. This is going to change everything because the whole benefit of blockchain is you can get rid of all the intermediaries because it's it's basically hack proof. You know, you've got this very complex data security on top of this blockchain. So Mike and I, as an example, we could transact a business transaction between us and everything is fully accounted for. It's fully secure, et cetera. And that was the original premise. The problem is, is that there's been almost $8 billion worth of fraud on this blockchain technology. People getting, you know, people having their accounts wiped out, you know, um, you know a variety of issues and, and uh, you know, theft and other things that have occurred. And it just goes to show you that there is no foolproof technology. Whatever it is, there's always a problem. And no matter how smart you think you are, there's always somebody smarter out there that's going to figure out how to hack whatever it is you built. So, you know, that's just kind of the nature of the beast. Um, but, you know, the, the important thing is, is that, you know, there is a viability to the blockchain technology. And, and I'm not discounting that at all. And what's interesting is, though, is that this all really became a thing back in 2013, 2014, 2015. And, you know, here we are in 2022, and there's very few companies that have actually adopted blockchain technology, A, to begin with, and B, there's probably even fewer yet that, have, that are actually accepting cryptocurrency is a form of payment because of the volatility in the currency. It's just, it's not a viable, it's not stable enough to um, transact business on. So it's, it's a very interesting process, but I just thought it was interesting because there, you know, there's this big headline on CNBC, you know, meta, you know, fraud in the metaverse, you know, again, not surprising with any new technology. And, and once they kind of, and eventually, eventually this will all get kind of figured out and, and people will start just like we do with computers, right? We have, you know, multi versions of antivirus check and anti-phishing software. And, you know, every time there's a, you know, a new, a new way to hack people's information, we come out with a new virus update that tries to fix that problem. And then somebody figures out a new one. And this just, a, it's just an ongoing process. And this is why, you know, software security is going to be a very profitable business forever. <laughs> I mean, this is that is not changing. The more that we get into technology, the more that's needed to have security with it. Um, and why you've got four million different passwords that you've got to try to keep <laughs> track of, and everybody just writes them down in stores in their desk drawers. So, <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of it. Anyway, just I thought it was just kind of an interesting headline this morning. Um, all right, back to our story. So, talking a little bit about the Fed. You know, the, the question is in the big debate, you know, how much will the Fed hike? One group of people say, hey, you know what? I think the Fed's pretty limited in how much they can hike rates despite what they say. Another group says, no, they're going to keep hiking until they break something. Um, and the question is, what does that mean for the financial markets, you know, kind of going forward? The markets are down, you know, 28 uh, percent this year, a little bit less on the NASDAQ. Um, S&P has been flirting with the 20 percent kind of barrier that would technically denoted as a bear market in terms of uh, market parlance. But, you know, the issue is, is that have, have the markets already built in the more negative scenario? And, you know, do we have valuations back at a level that could generate a, a more bullish market through the end of this year? And there's certainly some, some indicators out there that suggest that we could see a better half 
of, of the second of the year. I mean, when you look at extremely depressed levels of investor sentiment, um, whether it's the American Association of Individual Investors or the Professional Investor uh, Sentiment Index, you know, those, those, those sentiment indexes are at levels that normally provide for more positive equity market returns over the next 6, 8, 12 months, right? And, and we always see these charts that are put out. It's like, you know, from this level, over the next 12 months, stocks did this, right? And, you know, that's, that's the question. Um, is that the case? Uh, or, you know, the other problem is, is that markets are down, you know, flirting with bear market territory on the S&P, and we haven't gotten into a recession yet. And so what happens when we actually get into a recession? Would this be the first time in history that markets have a bear market before we even have a recession, right? And so that's that's the big question. And, and you know, that's what we're trying to figure out as, you know, portfolio managers, what's what Mike and I deal with every day. Um, but it's also about trying to figure out how to position portfolios going into this year, especially if inflation is reversing. You know, what does that mean for commodities, um, other, uh, other stocks like that? Um, and where does the benefit come from if we start getting a more deflationary environment? So, Mike, I'll throw it over to you. What, what are kind of your initial thoughts on, you know, kind of the outcomes for the rest of this year? Well, first of all, I think there are a lot of firsts for our careers, our you know, our careers, which started in the 80s after inflation was more or less tamed. The, the, what we're seeing are not first, though. We saw this in the late 70s and 80s, but that environment was very different. There was a lot less debt. There was It was a much different, a much stronger economy, a much more mm -hmm. productive economy. Right. So when we're thinking about things today, there is no great history to lean back on and say this could happen or that could happen. So the way I think about it is inflation first, right? For, the Fed clearly has a mandate from the president from inside the Federal Reserve to decrease inflate the rate of inflation. What does that mean now? Right. We both know that if inflation's running two percent in six months, the Fed will be lowering rates. The Fed could be doing QE. The Fed will fight a recession if, in fact, there is one. But inflation, I doubt, will be running at two percent in six months. So you start thinking about scenarios. You know, if inflation keeps going up, then all bets are off. But what if it's 6%, 5.5%? Is the Fed comfortable that they've come down enough to start backing off a little? So what's the trajectory of rate of uh, inflation declines? How much financial instability can the Fed bear, right? Clearly, the Fed will bear a bear market. It's bearable. Uh, <laughs> But is it just and barely too many a bear puns this early in the morning? So, <laughs> uh, um, you know, so in my mind, yeah, the market could keep going down. But what what will the Fed put up with? And, you know, again, the Fed's our quarterback. And that has become they've become they've gone from a third string JV quarterback over the last 40 years to Tom Brady. <laughs> so it's not the only factor. Tom Brady doesn't win a Super Bowl every year. But he is a key part of his football teams, the mm -hmm. Patriots and the Buccaneers. And just like the Fed is a key player in markets. And some of it is just sentiment. Some of it is just I'm going with the Fed. And some of it is reality and what they actually do. Right. And well, I think, when you I th try to answer those questions, think, what would the Fed do? Yeah. And I think there's two things that really, you know, and this is something that I'm, I'm writing an article on right now, is that, you know, if we step back and look at. So there's two ways to look at the markets, right? So 
investors look at the market from the standpoint of where was I January the 1st? Where am I now? Right. And so here's the S&P flirting with a bear market and they're going, well, the market's down 20 percent almost. Why isn't the Fed coming in to to, you know, soften up monetary policy and, and help out because they've always done it. Right. I mean, you go back in history to 2000 and, and you know, 10, right after we had the initial kind of QE1 in 2009, 2010, it started to come off. The market declines by 18 percent and the Fed comes in with QE2. Um, and then in 2011, we get into the debt ceiling default. Markets down 20 percent. QE, QE2 rolls off and they're in with quantitative, uh, you know, uh, operation twist. And so and, and it just kind of goes on. And, you know, 2018, you know, the market's down 20 percent. They reverse course on Fed funds. So for the last 12 years, investors have just been been taught that every time the market's down 20 percent, the Fed's going to jump in and bail things out. But if we step back and look at it, how the Fed looks at it, and I think this is the key point. The Fed's looking at this going, look, the markets are still up 15 percent from where they were and at the peak, the pre-pandemic peak, right? So we go back to February 2020. Markets are still up 15%. That's 7% annualized. That's not bad, right? Uh, and if you take a look at, at credit, where you know they're worried about the financial stability, that's their big concern. What's financial stability for the markets look like? There's not a lot of stress. The spread between junk bonds and A-rated bonds have come up a little bit here. Not surprising, kind of given the rise in interest rates um, and you know volatility in markets, et cetera. Certainly some concern have brought spreads up a little bit, but they're not spiking by any stretch of the imagination, showing that there's a lot of concern about credit defaults or you know credit-related risk in the markets. And I think that's really where the Fed has kind of got their attention focused, going, look, our job is to, to fight, and I agree with you, our job is to kind of fight this inflationary thing and keep employment strong and maintain financial stability. And right now I can keep doing the first two because financial stability actually looks okay. And I think that's a scary outcome for the future. What if inflation sticks around? What if it really doesn't come down? Or what if it keeps going up and financial instability starts getting worse and worse? Right. Well, then the Fed is really in a bind and that's a tricky situation for the Fed. Well, I think, I think look, I, I, you know, I have to imagine, you know, these, these guys that you know, or running the Fed, they're not they're not dummies. And I think they realized that a lot of this inflation was caused by this liquidity push that they were responsible for, <laughs> by the way. Um, and, you know, the reversal of that by tightening their balance sheet, I, you know, I think they're looking at that going, you know, we can we can quell this inflationary issue and maybe keep financial stability intact. I mean, I don't know. I, we, nobody knows how this outcome plays out, but I think it's something that we have to watch for very carefully, particularly as we're investing capital for the end of the, and the end of this year, as, and particularly as we move into 2023. Be right back after the break. We'll get ready to wrap up the show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts with Michael Leibowitz. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Some people don't know about bonds. I am told this is a bond. I've never seen a bond before. I never 
owned a bond in my portfolio. It is terrifying. Get to know bonds in our next free Lunch and Learn, Thursday, June 2nd with Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and special guest Lance Roberts. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. The thing about bonds with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the mark uh, back to the show this morning. Talking a little bit about the markets, your money, of course. Uh, Michael Lewis joining me. So let's talk about we were talking about markets later this year. Let's talk about markets right now because that's the big question. Of course, is you know look the markets are down fairly sharply this year, and you know it's been a, a tough road, particularly in a variety of areas, and 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 most importantly, it's been really tough for more speculative type innovation companies that you know recently came to markets had a lot of IPOs a lot of these SPACs you know interesting story about SPACs by the way um, you know SPACs which are these special purpose acquisition companies that were put together by well just about everybody and their dog because you know going public requires you know a good bit of work you got to file an IPO you've got to have an investment bank or all this SPACs are pretty easy because you take an existing publicly traded corporation and then you just back a company into it and you're publicly traded right and it makes it really easy and and so SPACs are not a new thing by the way they've been around forever People have been doing reverse mergers for as long as I can remember. Back in the 80s, that was a, a thing, finding a penny stock and reverse merging into a penny stock. Um, you know, that's not a new thing, but it really became, you know, a, a thing of the moment in 2021. We had a massive surge in these SPAC issuances. And the problem with this is, is these are what they call blank check companies. And what that means is, is that, you know, Mike and I are going to put together a SPAC and we're going to go out and buy something. So we announced it here on the show. Mike and I have the Mike and Lance spike uh, SPAC, and, and we're raising capital. Send your checks in today. So you send Mike and I a bunch of money, and Mike and I then have to go find out something to invest in, right? So we got to go find a deal. You already sent us your money. Now we have to go find a deal to, to spend it on. Well, if we don't find a deal within a certain period of time, all that money's got to get returned to investors, and that's about what we're going to start seeing happening. A lot of these SPACs that raise capital have not been able to find a deal to invest in. Because, look, it's too much money chasing too few deals that are good. And there's a lot of these SPACs that invested their capital so that the, the promoters could get paid. They invested the capital in not really great companies. And there's going to be a, a, a large number of these SPACs probably that go bankrupt and go away in the very not-too-distant future, and a lot of investors are going to lose a lot of money. But that's just the nature of the beast. This is what happens when you get into a very speculative market. Well, you know, not surprisingly this year has been the payback for all that speculation. You know, it's kind of like playing poker, and you're in a, you, you've got a streak of hot hands, and you're like, man, I just can't lose, right? I mean, it's like every hand, I'm just coming up, and I'm just I'm cleaning up the table. I've got, I've got, I've got the casino by the tail here. I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna wipe them out, and then your hand goes cold, right? And all of a sudden you can't draw a hand to save your life, and that's just the way it works in gambling. It's the way it works in the stock market. All that speculative nature, and as I said at the opening of the show, I was getting Facebook posts from people going, you know, hey, 
you know, this is so easy. You know, why would I work? I'll just invest money. Well, this is why, because investing is not easy. And there's a payback for everything that you get. And we're in that now. Um, but there's some positive signs here over the last few days that are becoming a bit more encouraging. One, we've been talking about this very negative sentiment in the markets. We've talked about this drawdown we've had in the market this year. Devastation really below the surface. Some stocks are down 70, 80, 90 percent. Uh, we were talking about Shopify the other day. It's gone from 1,800 at the beginning of this year to 350-something now. I mean, just a massive decline in that company. And that company actually makes money, by the way. <laughs> they actually have positive income. Um, you know, unlike a lot of these other companies have been completely killed. But, um, you know, yesterday we saw a rally that actually finally turned our MACD <coughs> buy signal up. We actually have a buy signal um, in the markets, which is something we haven't seen now for almost six weeks. It's been a very, ever since the peak of the market in March, we've been on a sell signal that has just been very tenuous at this point and has just continued to push lower and lower and lower. And yesterday finally got the trigger on a sell signal. Interestingly enough, uh, markets are up again this morning on the futures. Um, so the question is, is do we have a short-term bottom in place? What does that mean? And what should you do with a rally if we get one? Mike, what are your thoughts here? I think we are we are due, and we've been saying this for a couple of weeks now, due for a reflexive bounce. The big question is, is that reflexive bounce like late March 2020, where it just bounces and next thing you know, you know, come summer, come fall, we're at all-time highs again? Or is this a natural kind of stair-step pattern in a bear market, <clears throat> excuse me, where we could rise five, 10, maybe even a little more than 10% and then go and find some lower lows come the summer. Mm -hmm. I'm sort of inclined towards the latter, but open towards towards the other one. And and the, the hard part with a lot of this is the market's not dumb. It prices in, it, it prices in. So if IBM, if everyone thinks IBM is gonna lose half their earnings going forward and their growth rate will be cut in half going forward, the stock, the stock price investors don't wait until they announce it at the next earnings announcement. They 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 price it in today. Mm -hmm. So the market is pricing in slower growth. It's pricing in a Fed that's not helpful. It's pricing in lower earnings. It's pricing in a lot of bad news. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, did it price in too much bad news? Did it not really price in enough bad news? And is the market ready for a recession if that's coming? Is the market priced for the Fed's soft landing like they keep saying that we're going to do? So so it's a constant battle between between trying to figure out what's going on on the fundamental side, the economic side, but also the technical side. And even if you are in that bear camp and, and you're in the severe bear camp, I think a lot of the bears will recognize that this market is oversold that there's a lot of technical indicators that are saying it should bounce. Now, the question again is, is it a 5% three-day bounce or is it a durable, like in 2008, Bear Stearns fails and that kicked off a month-long rally? Literally, they failed over the weekend and starting that Monday, the market set off on a month-long path higher. The news was bad, the news was getting worse and everyone knew it, but I think, what was it, a 10% gain? Right. Yep. So that's that's what we're dealing with now. What kind of bounce is this? Is it reflexive reflexive bounce that ultimately sees lower lows? 
Does it last one month? Does it last three months? Does it last two days? Do we get, does the S&P go up 200 in two days and then just fizzle out and consolidate for a month or two or three, then go explore new lows? Or does it jump and does it consolidate and then go back up to new highs? And it depends on, you know, sentiment. It depends on the Fed. It depends on, there's a number of factors. And those factors are changing quickly. And that's why the market is so volatile, because it's trying to make sense of everything. It's trying to price in what they think will happen. And, you know, of course, everyone has a definition of what priced in means and quantifying priced in. Right. And again, this is this is the, you know, the big question. Obviously, we don't know. And, and you know, we can look at some indicators like, you know, valuations, trailing valuations, forward, uh, forward valuations. The problem you know, with forward valuations and something we talked about last year is that forward earnings and forward earnings estimates in 2022, 2023 were extraordinarily high. There was a lot of optimism about what earnings were going to be over the course of the next year. So um, all of a sudden, starting in May and just really just a couple of weeks ago, those earnings estimates are now starting to come down sharply. Earnings estimates already have fallen by about 8% just in the month of, of May. And that's going to get a lot worse. So if you're kind of banking on forward valuations, I see a lot of charts here lately. It says, you know, forward valuations are back to where they were pre-pandemic. They were expensive pre-pandemic. <laughs> and now we're back to those levels. That doesn't mean stocks are cheap. And more importantly, that's based on forward earnings. So if those earnings come down, if, if prices just stay where they are and forward earnings come down, valuations go back up again, right? So they get they get more expensive as those earnings are going to come down. And I don't see any way around that we don't see a pretty decent contraction in forward earnings based on what we're looking at economically moving out of the rest of this year and into next year. Right. And if you if you listen to a lot of these corporate earnings uh, calls that they do with the analysts, it's not that the and, and look at their statements. It's not necessarily that their income, that their revenues, that their expenses were that bad. It's the forward outlook. It's what they're telling us. We wrote this up on Snap yesterday, owner of Snapchat. It wasn't necessarily their earnings per se. It was it was their their lookout future and how quickly they see the economy degrading on them and, and whether it's increasing expenses for some companies or decreasing sales. They they are painting a bad outlook. And so it's not we're not looking back at January through March and saying, oh, these companies did awful. We got to get out. It's that forward looking outlook that tells us that earnings estimates, which are still double digit, you know, point to double digit growth for the next year in this kind of economy don't seem probable. Now, that could change in three or six months. But right now, those forward looking earnings estimates seem too high, as they always do. I mean, you, you've graphed this a million times. They always come down over time. Right. Everyone's yeah. estimate is always the highest at the longest point of time, and then it comes down closer to reality as earnings come out. Right, exactly. And and again, this is you know this is just something that we need to be paying attention to. And again, I don't have the answer. I don't know what the rest of this year looks like, you know, by because there's so many different things that can happen. So many things can change. I mean, we could get you know we could see a bottoming in economic you know weakness, and the markets you know economy starts getting stronger for one reason or the other, but. In the near term, I think that, and as we've talked about, something we'll cover in our three minutes on markets and money today, I think there's some reasonable technical indications. We may have a short-term bottom here in the market, 
we do get a bit of a rally, whether it's 5%, 10%, whatever that is. I think we use that to raise cash, rebalance risk in portfolios, take that opportunity. If, if you've had a tough sledding this year and markets and, and portfolios not been doing well, this is your, you'll have an opportunity here to, to sell into a little bit better pricing and then make your next decisions where you want to go. That wraps up the show for the day. Stick around. Like I said, three minutes on Markets and Money will be coming up here shortly. Get by the website. Got some new releases on our simplevisor.com, a, a new stock research page. It's really great. Um, our programmers did a fantastic job with it. If you go to simplevisor.com, you can check that out free for 30 days. Um, also, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Uh, since your questions, comments, email, Michael Leibowitz's latest article is out on the website now. Uh, lots of new stuff coming away and our daily commentary. It's all there for you, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you tomorrow.